up, Internet? You're tuned in episode 97 of the Video Game Pals, the Pals Network's weekly video game podcast, where a group of lifelong gamers get to talk about video games, the news, and how it all makes us feel. I'm your host, Pete and Bessie, joined today by the edgelord with the heart of gold, Mr. Robert Townsend. Hey, it's good to be back. Uh, did, did we find out if Andy's concussed today or not? Oh, he's concussed. <laughs> okay. Alright. <laughs> And the concussion-proof man of mystery, <laughs> Mr. Sean Bartley. Hello, hello. Yes, I have been able to avoid this wave of concussions <laughs> that has swept the PALS network, and I'm here today. Standing tall, standing strong. That's right, as usual. So uh, this week, we're going to kick off the show the way we often used to do, with a little random question of the week! Oh, yeah. It's been quite some time since we've done a random question here on this fine program. Uh, so we're, gonna, we're, we're bringing it back this week, and we're doing it with a question I can't believe that we've never asked before. And this this one comes from Sean's brain, so you gotta let us know if we've done this one before. Because if we have, I'd be very interested to see if our answers match up to the last time we did it. Because <laughs> if we did, it was so long ago that we don't remember. Uh, so, Sean, why don't you uh, why don't you take it away? Actually, <clears throat> okay, awesome, and thank goodness that I actually remembered it because I almost forgot. Um... <laughs> <laughs> it's in the notes. Good thing I I, uh, wasn't looking at them. So, the question is something very simple and very classic. Who is your favorite video game protagonist? Hmm. So, I I was giving this one a lot of thought, and I really struggle with this question. Because, to me, there are, like, two kinds of great video game protagonists, right? Right? There are the blank slates where you get to create your own character, right? Or project yourself onto a character. So you've got your Marios. You've got your Links. You know, um, more modern examples would be like maybe, you know, a Commander Shepard, you know? Or, uh, or like your, your like Wanderer in Fallout, you know? Like is getting to create your own character and craft your own narrative. And I think in a lot of ways... Um, that's a very powerful tool, and it's one that I think um, you still see games employ to this day. You know, whether that's by giving you a character who's basically a blank slate and you can just fill in the blanks yourself, or really letting you make decisions and build your personality as you go. Um, and those are always fun for me. You know, like I think my, my favorite thing in a video game is getting to take a character and shape them. You know, and even if I'm not the one, like, even if it's not supposed to be, like, me and my stand-in, right? Like, but getting to take, like, a character like Lee from The Walking Dead, like, on a journey or, like, playing through something like Detroit and getting to, like, make the decisions of who that character is and, and you know, who they want to be. Like, that's always my favorite thing, um, which makes it a little tough to pick a character who's just a character, you know, who's just, like, a leading man or lady, um, and the more I thought about this question, the more my answer, like, to that side of it, I think has to be Nathan Drake from Uncharted. Huh. Um, just because I, I just have so much fun with that cast of characters, you know? When I think of, like, big personalities 
in protagonists. Like, there are a lot of protagonists who I just don't uh, necessarily, like, connect with in that way. You know, where, like, I love, uh, like, GTA, for example, right? But, like, I have never felt like any of the protagonists were anybody that I'd want to hang out with. You know, <laughs> whereas like uh, Nathan Drake's definitely like he's fun, he's funny, he's brave. You know, like he's got all the trappings of like your classic uh, protagonist hero, and uh, you know, um, fantastic voice acting as well by Mister. Um, uh, oh my God, I'm gonna blank on his name right now. Uh, Nolan North, and yeah, um, yeah you know, I, I think he's definitely one of like video gaming's strongest leading mans and when i just getting this this question pitched to me without like thinking about it too much he was the first place on my mind went to this is a doozy of a question um the amount of games i've played and the amount of protagonists i've interacted with my lord uh <laughs> <clears throat> I, I i struggle to say i have i have one <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I feel really, really strongly toward, um, <clears throat> excuse me, toward The Last of Us with, uh, every, like, the beginning to end of that, the the, the protagonist is, is very flawed in, in a lot of ways. He's just what's, a person. What's, what's, his, what's his name, Tom? Joel? I mean, there you go. I, I, I guess I forgot. What's <laughs> rainy word? Uh, I mean, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, but he's, uh, he's not, like, perfect, right? You know, and, and it's not a great situation anyone's in. And... You know, as as a guy who's just trying to get by or anything like that, those are a lot of my favorite stories. You know, they're just like, well, I'm not a bad guy, but I had to kill that guy. So, you know, that that kind of shit, you know, where he's doing he's done some morally ambiguous stuff. And it's really just a matter of like, you got to look out for number one at some point. But the story presents you with so many challenges that you have to, you know, as a character grow with. And and the journey was just so much fun for me. And, you know, you come out the other end with like a very clear vision, I think, at least of of you know the goodness in that guy and like it, i don't know it, it it was really like heartwarming like journey that i love i love to take um so like as like a nice connection to somebody like i i always loved that character that game has done that for me uh but like I'll, dude like on the flip side strong 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 second master chief dude just goes in kills everyone doesn't have to say a word what a character he knows the mission and he's he's focused, laser focused, and just does it. I mean, by the newer games, he's got like a couple lines of dialogue, so that's a little weird, right? Ba, 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 ba. But, <laughs> ba, 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 but like, yeah, strong number two for me though, Master Chief, uh, all right, mission driven man who just wants to kill all the aliens. I mean, the, come on, Pete. The, how many times have I say like the covenant of those bastards, you know, or how many times <laughs> I bitch about aliens? So. This is hard. Yeah, it is <laughs> really tough. hard. This is your own question, and you're going last. I know. Need uh, time. Uh, I, I have. Uh, I'm gonna. I think most of the time, I would say, Revan from Star Wars: Knights of the Old Republic. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to say that. I want to say Mega Man X. Oh yeah. All right. Nice. Because Mega Man X is, to me, a very interesting character. Whereas Revan is, especially, you know, when you first meet him, kind of like not a character. And you make up what he is. Yeah. <clears throat> um, 
Mega Man X is a character who lives in a, a, a world that is really kind of like war-torn. And he's... All he wants is peace. Mega Man X is actually a very peaceful character. And he cannot achieve that. And he's a he's a robot, right? So he, he wants peace for the world and to protect, you know, the people... Um, because that's what he's programmed to want, I guess. And there's that weird line between, like, what does he really want versus what is he just programmed to want? And in order to try and achieve that peace, he has to keep fighting constantly. His body gets destroyed, it gets repaired. Like, it's just so, like, it's kind of sad, in a way. Uh, that he has to keep going through this over and over again. And even though the games don't do a fantastic job of telling the story, if you pay attention, you can get that stuff. And I, just, I really like that. So I'm going with Mega Man X today. If you ask me again next week, maybe I'll have a different answer. Sean, you should definitely write a... Uh... Like a fan fiction, like comic about yeah. like about like Mega Man X's like mental state, you know, like his. <laughs> I'll admit this now, I have before. Yo, that's awesome. Well, I have before. Now I, I would love to read it. <laughs> <laughs> this is. I don't read fanfics though, uh, so like this is an honor for you. <laughs> I appreciate it, but it's not gonna happen oh, because. Damn. This is many, 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 many years ago, and it was in notebooks that I don't think I even had. Damn. It's time for a rewrite. Yeah, dude. that's what I mean. to write the, the gritty <laughs> Mega Man X reboot that we've all been waiting for. I, I, you know, I normally don't even put myself out there like that. Um, not that it matters. Like Capcom's not going to hear this and be like, "Yeah, you." Um, but of all the video game properties, I'm so serious. Of all the video game properties that exist. If I could tell the story of one video game property, it would be Mega Man X. Because I feel like that's the one that needs that. And I'm so in love with it that I would love to try. Yo, you know what? Random question part two! (laughs) Unprecedented. I I I like where you're going with this, Sean. Uh, there you go. That's a fun question, Thompson. Do you have an answer for that? Uh, or, uh, Sean, before, do you have anything else to add to that? Like the uh, thought of the the question being, if there was any one video game property you could work on in terms of like writing a story, whether it was like you know side fiction or like a game or whatever, like you know, what would you want to you know what would you want to so, work with? So yeah, so the answer is Mega Man X, and I think that. Obviously, because of the nature of Mega Man games, it would be hard to it would be hard to tell a story in that game that's nuanced because all you really get are these you know relatively short cutscenes right. in a game that's supposed to be action packed, and you probably don't want to bog it down in like a ton of story. But I do think that even within the trappings of a regular Mega Man X game, you can do a lot with the cutscenes that you that you do get and even during the levels sometimes you know characters will talk to you and things like that i I think there's room for a really cool story and on top of that i actually think a companion book or a companion comic 
to the video game would be really awesome. And that's something that I would really, really love to do. I think there's a very interesting story there about the cynical nature of war that you can tell through the eyes of a machine that just wants peace, who fights the same villain every single time, and the same exact scenario plays out every time. I think that you can really do something cool and interesting there that hasn't been done before. I just imagine a scene of him getting his body worked on, you know, like you you ever play the game where Zero loses half his body? Yeah, yeah. I just see Mega Man like <clears throat> held up and you know having his body altered and just kind of looking like depressed, like man, this sucks. Some like you know? RoboCop shit, yeah. <laughs> and you can't you can't do that with humans because you can't do that with humans, you know? So that's that's my uh that's my thing with Mega Man. That's that's fucking awesome, man. Like that is really cool. Yeah, there's it, it reminds me a lot of like what I like about the Gundam series with like the cyclical nature of war and stuff, and just like the you know you gotta fight for peace kind of stuff, and uh, the, the slow mental degradation of some characters like is is a big facet of some of those too, and like all those things apply very well to that. So that's awesome, man. Thank you. Damn. What about you, Thompson? You got one? I mean, there is a ton of games I love to dip my fingers in, but. Well, you got to pick one. I know. We all, you're, you're I brutal. know there's tons. You guys ask these questions tons. today, and it's like, rack of my world. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, there, there's there's a lot of, like, I, I mentioned Master Chief before. Like, I know there's a new Halo coming out. There's a lot of room for, like, fixes in that series. And I would, up until, like, a couple years ago, would have loved to have been like, yeah, here's what I want out of this, because this story is getting, eh. You know, and, like, th- there's a lot out of that that I would have done so... If the new one comes out, like whenever it comes out, and it's it's garbage, <laughs> I would I would say like posthumously, I'd like to go back in there and try to like time warp fix this motherfucker because it's you can just reboot it, bro. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like t- you know yeah. what I mean. Like if so, like my answer predicates on the new one being shit, which we don't know <laughs> if it will be or not. But okay, so yeah, the Halo series or you know something. I think I've talked about it before, even how how things I would love to have in it. So. It's just something I, I feel very dear to, and I love sci-fi, and it could use a nice reboot, re- rework, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, shame. Are you excited for the show? Yeah, actually I am. Uh, especially because it takes place during the uh, the first war, like the big war with the Covenant, and that's like really what... I mean, you can go beforehand of them and, and say like the, the, the rebels, the in, insurrectionists, or, or anything like that. And, and it's like, okay, it means... That could be cool. There's a lot of cool stuff in the Halo world, but like, to, like the meat for me has always been in that time frame. I mean, it's the Spartan Project. It's it's like the, the threat to humanity itself. You know, there's just just political nuance and all this other stuff, and um, it's just, it's a good story. You know, it's a it's a good story about survival and all these other things and pushing through when there's no hope. That kind of shit. It's the best one there was, I thought. So perfect time frame for me. So, so now you're on the gauntlet. <laughs> yeah. So this one's tough because, like, I think, like, obviously there are a lot of answers to the question, of course. And my my gut reaction is one that I try to think of a different answer to because I feel like it's like so expected of me at this point. Honestly, but dude, the the uh, first answer you have, Nathan Drake, that's what my mind went to for you. So, like, if you don't think that wasn't expected. I want to hear yeah, this so next one now. <laughs> it's Pokemon. 
Yeah, okay. It's it's okay. it's definitely Pokemon, you know? It's like I I don't think that there's any video game franchise that I understand as well as Pokemon in terms of like I I know Pokemon pretty fucking well like in and out and I think I know what makes a good Pokemon game and what makes a bad Pokemon game. And when it comes to like it as a franchise, I also can't think of a franchise that is like more well developed but undertapped than Pokemon. Because it's such a well realized world in terms of like all of these creatures that they've created, this great big world with all these different regions and like you know, it's always so exciting to understand like what the culture of a new region is gonna be like and all those things. But it always feels hollow, you know, like the story is like corny or like really stilted and like there's so little exploration and like leveraging of all the great ideas and locales and monsters that they've created. And I feel like, um, you know, remember a couple years ago. There were two different Pokemon series. Uh, there was the, like, Generations thing where it was the story of Red and Blue in, like, four episodes. And then there was that YouTube series that they did that we used to talk about where it was, like, they would put out the random shorts that were just, like, events in the world of Pokemon, you know? And were a little bit more, like, in that same style of Generations where they're, like, a little more serious, a little more grounded, you know? And I think that's really what Pokemon needs. And I would love to do that in any format. You know, if it was a book, uh, a comic, uh, you know, not a book, I guess. I wouldn't want to do it in like a non-visual medium, but um, like a comic or a, or a film or, or obviously especially a game. Um, I would love to be able to be involved in that process of like sort of helping Pokemon grow up a little bit. You know, while still like keeping it um, accessible for kids, obviously, because I've said it before and I'll say it again. Like, I don't think that my criticisms of Pokemon are unfair or like coming from a place of like, well, I'm an, um, an adult old man who wants to play a kid's game, you know, because I think Zelda is there's no better example of a game than Zelda that skirts that line where like Breath of the Wild is a deep rewarding video game for an adult but there's like there's nothing that would keep a kid that's interested in video games from being able to pick up that controller and have that exact same experience you know like ocarina of time right when it came out was just as appealing to me at eight years old to all the 20 30 something gamers that it was a new game for sat there with my parents and played it and they loved it just as much as i did Right. Yeah. So there's no reason that you can't make a game that is accessible to children but rewarding for adults, you know, in both story and gameplay. And, like, I think that's that's something I would love to be able to try to do with Pokemon. Absolutely. I, I mean, I think you and I have always been uh, on the same page that Pokemon – could do with a a more nuanced story and mature, but not not mature in the sense of like Gritty. for older people or yeah. you know dark or murder. You know, just 
you know, a little, a little more mature. And, um, yeah, I think, I actually think that there's a misconception with video games that children can't handle games that are mature. And that's not true. I mean, we were all kids playing, I mean, we all played pretty much the same games, right? Yeah. And, uh, they were great for us, but when you look at older people, they remember those games well as well. You know, like, uh... One of my favorite games of all time is Metroid Prime, and that's a that's a heavy game. You know, yeah. that's a heavy game, and I played it at, at uh, I guess I would have been eleven or twelve, and I, you know I was into it. So you can't tell me that the generation of kids now can't handle games because we did, and it's the yeah. same crap. And I, and I think like especially when it comes to I don't know like difficulty and like you know like being like oh it's got to be like kid friendly it's like man like i'm not saying we need to make pokemon like you know grand theft auto but like we can have like you know even the first pokemon game had explored deeper themes that the series won't even touch now you know like the idea of war and death and mourning like those are all things that are present in the original pokemon and like yeah they're super watered down or like very minute like it's not this deeply emotional journey or anything like that but even just acknowledging that real life things happen or have happened in the pokemon world are the thing that it's missing now because that edge made it feel grounded in some ways and real in some ways and now it feels like a disney movie you know where it's just like it's all like everyone's just, oh boy, I can't wait to go out for another wonderful day of Pokemon adventuring. Ha ha ha. It's like, you know, like we can <laughs> we can do more than that, you know? We can do something that's that is deeper than that. And it doesn't have to be uh like you said, it can be mature without being gritty. Like Breath of the Wild has like the story of Breath of the Wild is thin, but like again it deals with like some very weighty adult themes you know like love and death and legacy and family and friendship and war and you know good versus evil like you know i don't see why pokemon can't tackle or grapple with those same things yeah it used to completely agree it's just you know man i i really think that um there's a there's a wave of, of, of parents who who saw that we were all engaging with that stuff and like the generation just after us and they just decided that that's not cool and so game developers you know cut back that's what I feel like that's what it seems to me it's baby ass baby mode I can't I can't handle it. Well, I mean, but, don't worry. Anything that was like slightly edgy or whatever was put into like everyone playing Call of Duty, the next generation. So you know, it's like, <laughs> oh, maybe maybe Pokemon doesn't have anything, and it's like these kids are playing fucking Fortnite and Call of Duty and murdering each other. So it's like, uh, sure, <laughs> it's like that's a good kids point are saved. <laughs> what what crowd is Pokemon serving? What crowd of kids is Pokemon serving that aren't 
on a lo- on another device playing a game in which they murder people casually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kids, it's like ridiculous. Like I have neighbors and like just randomly these like ten year olds would be like, "Yeah, they murdered you," and like I shot him in the head, and it's like, "Oh wow!" Like that's not bad or anything, but I know they're talking about Fortnite, <laughs> and like they're exposed to that shit. So when you really think about it, if, if who are they trying to protect, saying like, "Oh, there can't be like the talk of like a Pokemon died." Because, like, what, it'll taint them? They're murdering each other. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. But, yeah, so if you want to let us know what you think uh, about either of our our questions this week, who your favorite video game protagonist is, or what video game would you you most like to get your hands on to help craft the lore, uh, you can hit us up at thevideogamepals at gmail.com. Get us in the comments down below, or follow at thecomicspals wherever your social media is sold, and get in touch with us with your answer to this week's random questions. And while you're at it, if you want to help the show, remember you can give us a like on your platform of choice. If you really want to help us out, head over to Apple podcast give us one of those sweet five-star reviews uh they really help the show get recognized and uh you know if you are a youtube listener you can give us a like subscribe to the channel click that notification bell and uh you know you know how to internet all that all that fun stuff uh to uh help the show get recognized uh so with that i guess that means it's time for the news the news we talking about the news the news the news we talking about the news All right, so kicking things off, we've got the biggest, most shocking news story this week. Our first look at the live action Sonic the Hedgehog has been revealed, and it is proof that humanity was a mistake. This is, it's all, it's all, it was all a bad idea, honestly. And And it's uh, all downhill from here. It really is. In, in retrospect, I, I can say as a as an avid history man that when I look upon our works, I do not normally despair. But when I see the Sonic movie, I can say it was all for naught, and we shouldn't have even tried because this is this is where we came to, and and I and I live in this time, and I'm and I'm great great that I am in in such a wonderful age with the internet and things that I can see this and understand with full capacity that everything we've worked toward was a joke. Because this movie exists now. <laughs> it was a joke. I wanted to see us, like, colonize Mars. I don't anymore. I, I have shattered. My, my spirit is not broken, but the will to, to see a better humanity has died this day. So. Damn. This. Harsh. You know how I feel about Sonic, right? You know. I'm not a big yeah. fan. No, you know, I don't, I don't know that I've heard you express that before. Right. I'm just gonna, you know, I'm, I'm giving you the spark notes. I'm not a huge fan. And it's like, I'm. I'll, I'll give you the first couple games, first three even, are pretty okay. And, like, they don't deserve to be thrown in the fire like the E.T. games. But seeing this movie, holy fuck. <laughs> it's like, like none, of it was, none of it was worth it. Oh, my God, this movie. <laughs> but wait, so here's my favorite part of it. So this is, uh, these all came from, like, a, um, it's like a, it's like a, uh, like a pack, you know, like a, um, What's the word? It's like a style guide, yeah. You know, for yeah. like marketing material and right. stuff. And uh, they have a thing, a slide where it says "brand personality, irreverent oh, and sarcastic, heroic <laughs> and adventurous, confident and competitive, chill and likable, mischievous but not malicious." That's Sonic the Hedgehog, everybody. Wow, it's just boiled down into a few keywords. I love it. <laughs> so. Oh my god, though. Like, isn't this just, like, nightmare fuel? It's awful. It's so it's unsettling. Horrifying. It's so 
weird looking. You you know those like those memes. I guess they're not memes, but they've been around the internet forever of like taking an image of a classic character that everybody likes and messing them yeah, up. Yeah, just making, making them, them look, look horrible. Yeah, terrible. Yeah. Like gooby and stuff. You know, just this is that. Yeah, I saw this and I was like, ugh. I actually yeah, thought it, it was a joke at first when I saw the the style guide or whatever pack that was released, and I saw the artwork, and I thought it was some fan being like, "Oh, this is like my idea for it. like or like a like a DeviantArt account put it out," or or and then I was like, "Oh wait, no, no, this is the real thing." Okay. <laughs> and what is is this like a is this a presentation? Of, kind of of yeah. like like who is this for that we're looking for? The table of contents, the brand personality, the I think it's it's for, like a PowerPoint presentation for, for executives retailers or some or? shit. I, I think it's I think it's for like retailers or for people that want to like uh, maybe like make um, you know like like uh, like if Seven Eleven did like a Sonic the Hedgehog cup or whatever, or you know if somebody makes like toys, you know, for the movie or something like that. Like I'm sure it's like just kind of or like commercials, you know? Right. Yeah. My my thing is. My thing is they they show a toy. <laughs> There's a toy in one of these images. Yeah. And the toy looks one hundred percent better than the character they're using in the movie. It, it looks does, like normal Sonic. Right? Yeah, it just looks like Sonic. One of my favorite pictures of him is him holding the ring. I just I don't know why, but it's just so bad looking and it may I can't look at him holding the ring. I'm thinking of like an '80s fucking like gymnastics character. I don't know why specifically that. His legs are weird. His face is weird. His hands are weird. It's disproportionate. It's it's deeply unsettling. His eyes are fucked up. You know, his eyes are his eyes are way too small. He's like really messed up, and his ears come out of his the top of his hair. It's not even like they come out of his head. (laughs) His ears just explode. Like, someone after thought, oh, fuck, he has ears, right? And then, well, we've already made this mane. Well, I guess we'll just plop them in there, little acid CGI drops. It's, it's just... It's, like, the toy is infinitely better looking. I, like, I just... I really don't know about this, man. <laughs> what kills me, too, is... What kills me, too, is that the feet... So, he's wearing <laughs> shoes, right? Yeah. <laughs> the feet. And... I have never in my life thought about what Sonic would look like without shoes on. Because the shoes were such a big part of his, like, get-up. I just never really considered, like, oh, what happens when he takes off his shoes or his gloves? But now that they changed them, and they made them look like regular running shoes, now I'm like, okay, well, what happens when he takes those damn things off? <laughs> and what I realized Does he is have that man this- feet? <laughs> Right, this motherfucker either has human feet, man feet, or he has massive feet, which wouldn't fit in these sneakers. So what the like? I I want to see them, but I also don't because I know that I'll never sleep again. Yeah, it's like everything about this is just so bad, and it, it left me sitting there scratching my head for at least an hour when I first saw these images. I it's disgusting. Couldn't believe what I saw. Like that somebody. Not even some, but one person. Like, a team of people, and then probably, like, another couple other teams, all were, like, they took a step back, signed off on it, and said, like, wow, like we, we knocked it out of the park with this one, guys. And, like, how did so many people become so wrong? You know what else makes me really uncomfortable? Is the fact that his gloves are just, like, fur. Yeah, dude, everything about this is wrong. Like, he just Excuse has weird me? white, he just has white hands, like... I mean, we've basically, from head to toe at this point, 
this this thing is disgusting. It, it it's like it's an abomination. Like, I don't understand how he could. Yeah, I don't know. It's this is not good. And he's I don't know, he's got like very like meat like muscly like legs. <laughs> it's like very. But here's here's my favorite part about it. So uh, the Polygon article that I'm I'm linking to down below where you can check out these pictures. Uh, has a quote where it says the post calls this quote a new modern take on the brand without abandoning its core essence and it's like oof uh, <laughs> I a, don't <laughs> do you mean modern like modern art take because this is like abstraction <laughs> of what Sonic used to be distilled through a fucking chemical process and came out the other side like th- this is not good I think it's if, if you're talking about the core essence of the fact that like Sonic has become like a funhouse mirror version of himself. Right. Like, like, I guess this speaks to that. Sure, he's blue and he goes quick. Is that the only parameters they had when they designed this thing? Um, <laughs> no, Thompson, are you an idiot? Have you not read the brand personality? I, I know. Sonic <laughs> is irreverent and sarcastic. He's heroic but also adventurous. Confident but competitive, chill and likable, mischievous, chill. Chill. Yeah. but not malicious. He's chill, uh, bro. Dude, reading these um, st- brand personality PowerPoint bullets makes me think he's like Woody the Woodpecker that just goes fast instead of pecks people in the face. Like th- it's just it's the same bullshit. Man, you don't know shit about Sonic. Yeah, and I know. I guess not because you're just embarrassing yourself in front of the listeners. Okay, you know what's insane is that. The, the the little toy Sonic has the proper color I, arms. Yeah, yeah. And the, the right the size eyes Sonic doesn't. What, yeah. Like who can explain to, can we get one of the producers on the show to explain why this is better? I don't know. I just want to know why these changes were made. They don't make sense. The the toy actually has the right size eyes and everything too. It's it's like really messed up because they took the toy. They were like, hey, what? Remember that game you used to play from like I don't know forever ago, Sonic? Oh, the first one. This is what he looks like. This is what the character looks like. Let's make it. What the fuck is wrong with these people? Also, in the description uh, from from the the article uh, that we're that we're pulling from by uh, Allegra Frank, it says that it says. Um, that the movie takes place on another planet where a blue talking hedgehog is less strange. So, if the movie takes place on another planet, why does that planet just have hedgehogs? And if that's the case, why does he have like tennis shoes that were that are for humans? Do they just make shoes on that tennis, planet? Tennis shoes are universally accepted. Holy shit. This brings up some really interesting ramifications for the Sonic <laughs> universe. <laughs> Real quick, I just I just shared it with you guys, and I'll include this in the show notes as well. Um, there's a, a fan markup that I found. Uh, I oh. remembered seeing like last week. Oh, I saw where this. This, uh, this yeah. guy um, who's like a designer, his name is uh, Tom Marks. He is the uh, deputy reviews editor at IGN. And uh, he, like, did his own edit of it to, like, make Sonic have, like, the right eyes. And it looks immediately, like, just less unsettling to me. Yeah, it's, You're right. it's just the mouth and the eyes after the mouth one is later on uh, down the uh, the post. And and it's, like, just one little change. And it's, it's like, wow, that looks so much more like Sonic. 
But you do need to scroll down just a little bit to look at the fucking horrifying image yeah. of Sonic with no eyes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he goes, also the process of making this resulted in this cursed image. And since I saw it all, all of you have to too. And it just looks like Sonic possessed by a fucking ghost. <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta be honest, even though what he did is good, there are ones that are that are a lot better than even this. Yeah. In this same thread, mm-hmm. there's there's one you scroll about halfway down uh that looks phenomenal. And it, it's just like why why is what how why did they go with this? It, it it's crazy. I don't know. I I just like I said man, I can't believe that people, you know, groups of people signed off on it and everybody stepped away from this and nobody at one point was like, "Oh, I don't know about that." Nobody felt uncomfortable with what they created. I mean, <laughs> like, I don't, I don't think legions of people had seen this before they released it, but at least ten people had to have seen this before they released it. And, like, I can't believe that all ten of them were just like, yeah, it's fine, right? I mean, you don't feel, like, chills going up your spine when you see it, right? No. Why would, why would I? <laughs> this thing... This thing will haunt my nightmares. They, they've like, I have to say, dude, they've like created like, that one movie, like Insidious or whatever it was, when like the, the demon that lives in the pictures, like they, they've created like an elder god that this thing is a cursed image, you know, like this, this is one of the stories for like Indiana Jones movie, like they oh, I saw the image of Sonic on the wall, <laughs> oh my god, and this comes out after like the stupid shit with Knuckles and all that crap and the Dewey and all that shit, so it, it, this is the abstraction of of something other insane, and that thing looked goofy, but this motherfucker looks even goofier. And that was supposed to be goofy on the other end, and like a, a company branding this, trying to sell it as a movie, made it look even more stupid than than, than it was dumb meme with knuckles in it. I, I just, I'm baff- please move on. I'm baffled by this. My blood pressure's going up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so moving oh, right along, uh, we got a quick update to a story we talked about. I think this was the last time Ed was on the show, where there was rumors of uh, Nintendo putting out like a VR device with switch you know mm-hmm. and uh we talked about like if it was going to be like a google glass and we'd like put your switch on your face or whatever you know um and it appears that that does exist in the form of a nintendo labo kit that none of us will be purchasing um but it's uh it's pretty interesting i just kind of wanted to follow up on it because you know we did we did talk about it a few weeks ago and it's it seems pretty similar to what we were talking about it's like a cardboard case that goes around your switch and then you've got like goggles on it but my favorite thing is if you guys uh there's there's like the the promotional image they put out and they show a bunch of the different configurations and there's this one with a kid with a bird and it just looks like he's sticking binoculars up a bird's ass <laughs> and it's ridiculous it does. yo it really does <laughs> <laughs> what a I, jerk. I love I love that the, the beak of the bird is a Joy-Con. <laughs> it's fucking ridiculous. This is odd. This it's, is I don't know, man. Or like look at the kid at the top right where he's just got the he's like, wow, wow, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Like what the hell is he looking at? I wanna see what the hell he sees through this labo shit. <laughs> Also, I this is something I I uh, I I made this joke a couple times already, but the elephant one in the bottom right hand yeah. corner, like the the eyes that they have on it, it looks like it looks like uh, Sam Fisher 
You know the the three the goggles. Like it looks like oh, Sam wow. Fisher has like a fucking elephant sidekick. <laughs> <laughs> Splinter Cell. God, this is odd. It's so weird. Yeah, but like all right, strange. Nintendo's got a Nintendo. Yeah, I let him. I let him have it, man. When they want to make cardboard cutouts for three D purposes, like, dude, man, only Nintendo would think of that and then successfully pull it off. So, like, I'm glad that this exists, man. It's just weird. I'm glad God that they're bless. getting their creative energy out in a in a fun, non destructive way, where they just don't make like a really dumb product and everybody to like you know like like the Wii U kind of fiasco stuff, where they're like, yeah, I got to use this stupid tablet now, and it's like. All right, dude. Nintendo, this is fun and all that, but do we really got to do the your way? You know, like I, I just love that they get to make the switch, have these things come out, and this is just kooky. That this is just so weird, and I love it. So they get to they get to put their energy somewhere, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I don't know, man. I think is this like really the first 3D thing that we've really seen from them, like from Nintendo? You mean VR? I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, VR. Yeah. Uh, well, it's besides it's, like virtual boy and shit. I, I don't want to count yeah. that, you know. It's t- after twenty four years, yeah. uh, removed from the virtual boy. Yeah, it w- you know, and it comes out through Labo of all things, which is just like it's so weird, and I love it. So, well, I mean, they had to find something to do with all those Wii U boxes that nobody bought. <laughs> yeah. You know, exactly. Oh, shit. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> like if Harsh. we just throw out the Wii U's, we can repurpose the boxes and sell them for seventy bucks a pop. <laughs> we just take out the hardware and yeah. just sell them the box, okay? <laughs> All right, so uh, moving right wow. along, we've got uh, a much less funny news uh, story, which is Anthem's troubles like just keep piling up this week uh, as a bunch of players reported that the game was crashing or even bricking PS4s. Wow. Yeah, so... We're going to get into it because there's, like, a whole thing here, and, like, it's not exactly what everybody thought, but it, uh, it, it was a pretty serious situation for a bit here. So uh, I'm pulling from uh, Ethan Gack's article over at Kotaku, and uh, then I've got a follow-up from uh, Michael McWhorter over at Polygon that will take us kind of through the whole story. So... Um, I'm just going to start here in the Kotaku piece. It's been a rough launch for Bioware's new loot shooter, and some PS4 players are now finding that the game occasionally shuts off their system as well. Quote, when encountering crash or game error, sometimes I get booted to the main menu or out of the game completely to the PS4 dashboard, a user who goes by For the Masters posted on the game subreddit over the weekend. But twice now, when trying to matchmake, my PS4 is completely turned off. The rest of the thread is filled with other commenters saying the same thing has happened to them on both the standard PS4 and PS4 Pro, sometimes completely out of the blue, other times while they're trying to exit the game. The PS4 then treats it as an improper shutoff, as, as if the power cord had been pulled. Um, so then there's, like, saying that there are several reports of it happening, you know. Um, here we've got a quote from another user. The console powers down and will not power on using the normal method of pressing the PS4 button on the controller, wrote one player. It, uh, it is the same as if someone pulled the plug without properly shutting the hardware down or if the power went out in the house. Sometimes the button on the front console works. Other times I have to unplug the console, then plug it back in. Neither Sony nor EA immediately responded for a request for comment. Uh, so then this is kind of just like getting back into it or whatever. Um, 
you know, there, there's more context here in the actual article from Kotaku, which I've linked you down below, which you can check out. But I am going to jump over to Michael's article now, which was an update um, on kind of the entire thing, right? So uh, this this article is Anthem patch to fix PS4 crashes coming next week, Bioware says. Uh, and in this, we have the denial of the, the fact that it was actually bricking anybody's systems. So it was just kind of a, a, a bit of a misunderstanding. Um so Bioware says that it's identified the issues in Anthem that were causing players' PS4 systems to crash and that it will issue a patch to fix the problem in an update expected on March 12th. So by the time you're listening to this, it should already be live. So in a stream on Twitch today, Anthem's lead producer, Ben Irving, said that Bioware has, quote, discovered a bunch of things that were causing crashes and we've addressed them in our patch. Irving also said that based on Bioware and Sony's investigation into the crashes, they haven't found any consoles that were actually, quote, bricked or rendered completely unusable by Anthem crashes. Quote, in all the instances we're aware of that we've investigated in partnership with First Party, they can be powered back up if you just know how to turn the power back on and, and cycle it properly. Those findings were echoed by Chad Robertson, head of live service at Bioware on Twitter. We've identified several causes for the temp, uh, the temp powered down crash. Sorry, this is like a reading a tweet, so it's weird. The temporary power down crash some PS4 users experienced. Uh, fixes for the top issues are in patch next week. If you encounter a game crash where your PS4 console won't respond, you can manually power down and restart it with no risk of damage. After a thorough review, we have not encountered an instance where Anthem has bricked a PS4 console. If you are experiencing anything different, please reach out to EA, at EA Help so we can track the incident and investigate. Bioware will fix, quote, real soon, a bug related to damage. Okay, this is another thing. Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so essentially, you know, and like the Kotaku article also points this out in its update. If you reboot your PS4 in, uh, in like safe mode, like you're good to go. You know, um, and nothing, there's like no long-term issue or anything like that. Uh, they called out saying, if you reboot it in safe mode by holding down the power button for several seconds until you hear two beeps. From there, players need to uh, select the option labeled rebuild database. When this process is complete, the PS4 should be working again. So, you know, ultimately, it's it's not any like real threat to your PS4, but like, what a debacle with all those headlines going out and like it was a while before we really had an answer where it's like anthem's already had enough trouble man and then you got this going on like what a mess what a fucking mess ea has on their hands man uh we've talked about this video game for a while and we have we've talked about you know the fact that it just seems like there's not a lot of positive conversation surrounding it not a lot of like positive hype and it's unfortunate that that negativity has continued post-release and to be honest it's obvious that everything at ea has not helped this game no like, they just haven't helped this game when you have a game come out that already had negative press and it needs to wow people and the conversation surrounding it, what, two weeks after release, three weeks or whatever, uh, is that it's bricking consoles. That's it, crazy. That's really, really bad. Even if it's not true. I, I mean, obviously enough people thought it was true to report it at the time because, I mean, dude, if a, if a game shuts my console down, I'm worried. 
Yeah. And and you got to think that, like, it doesn't even matter if it was really doing it because the perception is reality. And, like, right. the news story was out there. And how many people saw that headline and were like, oh, fuck, and then never followed up on it or saw the update or anything and are just so like, I need wow. To see. Yeah, it's breaking consoles. Guess I'm glad I didn't buy one. Yeah. I remember seeing this uh, report and thinking, oh, wow. I remember Pete and... Uh, and Thompson, I believe, had said that they might have been thinking about giving it a chance. Yeah. Good thing you didn't. Right. That's, that's what I thought. A genuine thought, because I didn't know about the update, so. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm even guilty uh, of that in some way, where, like, I tweeted about it and was like, oh, PSA, like, watch out. And I'm just realizing I never followed up on that. So, like, I need to go and, like, update my uh, my tweet about it, you know? Because, like... How many, like, how many people did I do that for, too? You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's definitely unfortunate, man. Like, my first exposure to this was, like, just popping through YouTube, and I saw a headline for one of the videos, like, you know, Anthem will break your PS4, and I was like, oh, shit. So, like, you know, just that kind of first impression of it really, really didn't help. But it's good that they cleared it up. And it's good that we get to report that too, because you know I don't wish Bioware and uh, any ill ill gains. Uh, yeah, dude, I'm rooting for this game so hard. I want this game to be good, and I want to like this game. I want to play this game, but like Jesus I, Christ, you know, you like know. it's just in such a bad, bad position, and like nothing I'm hearing about it like makes me feel like it's something that is like worth checking out you know like there are a lot of people who are liking it and saying that it's fun and that the gameplay is good and like i believe that but it's like fuck you know i believe in like a year after patches and updates or even maybe like a dlc it's gonna be a great game yeah and that's the problem that i have with it like by that point i'm gonna be so over even trying to do it you know i don't i don't think the game you know is for me right now but i think it will be really good at one point and it's just gonna take a lot of time that like it, it could not be in my radar by that point, so. It's crazy to me that we live in a time, and, and you know, we've lived in this time for a while already, but uh, it, it's crazy to me that we live in a time where it's reasonable to say, yeah, this game isn't for me, but maybe in a year they'll have changed it enough and made it, you know, better to the point where it's worth 60 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like... How is that? Everybody's tastes are unique, and maybe for Thompson that's what it'll take, but maybe not for others. But I agree in that the game just doesn't seem to be ready. Like, it's not ready. It did, How yeah. did you put. It doesn't look like it was done to me yet. And that's well, why and I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's clear that, that EA needed more, t- or um, sorry, that Bioware needed more time from EA to. to- finish it you know and to like make sure that it was polished and like ready for release and they clearly didn't get that time and uh you know i think like that's like that's the long and short of it really is that like the game clearly needed more time to cook and realistically that could happen right uh destiny was also a game that was like notably not well received at launch but people bought it and they kept playing it anyway and eventually it got good and it found a huge audience that is still with it you know um and i think you know there are dozens of examples of that even fucking no man's sky which was a game that was doa and everybody thought was a huge joke like had its update last year and it 
like it it found a new audience and like people were and are playing it again. So, you know, I think it's certainly not impossible for them to turn Anthem around, but like especially with the fact that like Apex Legends came out and was such a huge success for them, it's like upsetting that EA wasn't willing to give BioWare more time to make sure that this game was where it needed to be. Yeah, they they there are so many so many masters that they have to uh, serve. Yeah, when it comes to stuff like this, and you know maybe on some level EA's hands were tied. I know that there were delays to Anthem. That's yeah. accurate, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, maybe their hands were tied, but uh, either way, it really is not a good situation. But you guys are both right. Maybe there is a time down the road where this game does improve and it does uh, find its way back into the zeitgeist for positive reasons. But um, not a good look. No. For a company that, 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 you know, needs a good look. Yeah, especially... I mean, granted, like, obviously Apex has been a huge win for them, but I feel like specifically for Bioware, it's worse. They're the ones who need the win. When I think of Apex Legends, I don't think of EA. I mean, that's good for them. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, that game is making them millions and millions of dollars right now and, like, does shows no signs of slowing down. Uh, yep. It beat a record that's Fortnite set, you know, with, uh, with Battle Royale, which is insane. So it's like, that game, like, the ceiling on it, we have no idea where it is. Like, I was almost going to include it this week. They reached 50 million players in a month. That's crazy. Which is, yeah, that's huge. So, like, EA's in a position where they can turn the ship around right now, and Anthem feels, like, representative of the way they've been doing things for years and years, you know? So it's like, I don't think that they're necessarily going to, like, that we're going to see a face turn for EA right now, but it's unfortunate because they have a real win on their hands that people genuinely love and that this could be their chance to start getting good faith. And like, they're not doing it. You know, they're, they're doing EA, they're doing what EA does. And it's, it's frustrating because I think it's clear that Anthem could be a good game despite everybody's doubts and concerns about it. Cause a lot of people are saying the gameplay is fun and like the story is like fairly good. But it's like it's buggy and it's got bad load times and it's got all these other problems that you could optimize. Like if the core gameplay loop is good and the story is at least serviceable, like that that's what Anthem needed to be good. And it's a shame that it seems like it's kind of almost there, but it's just not done. It's not optimized. It's not ready. And that people are basically paying for like a glorified early access beta is going to rub people the wrong way and like they're going to have a uphill battle to get to a place where people like me and Thompson who wanted to like it actually want to take the plunge when they already had that uphill battle cuz there wasn't hype around it because we weren't sure about the story because we weren't sure about the gameplay and like if it had come out and been even just solid at launch I think it would be a totally different story right now people would have been like Anthem's really good fucking everybody was hating on it and now it's great and everybody loves it and like how how you know what what could another year have done for that game you know this practice of like releasing um what you said makes a lot of sense like kind of like a it's like a triple a early access game like it 
it's been accepted by a lot of companies. They kind of do that kind of shit. But I think now it's a little different. You got stuff like the Switch is killing it. And like, how can you tell me that you're going to release a game that looks like this has bugs and shit? It doesn't like it's not polished, you know, all that shit. When we got killer titles coming out for everything, you know, around it. And, and like, then you have Apex Legends, which is, you know, like 50 million people. Um, it's clearly not working anymore, I don't think, to try to make these games and then say, like, well, we'll kind of make them as they go, almost after their launch. It's sort of like a like a testing ground, practically. Like, they, they can make a bare-bones experience in some scenarios, and then framework is all they need. And then they say, well, you know, the, we'll just patch it as we go, just get the damn thing out. And, like, that was acceptable for a little bit of time, but... The fact that this happened in the same way is very unfortunate. Because if it didn't, it would have been it would have been something that I would have been playing probably. Like I really wanted to enjoy this, or you know, I really wanted to get into this. It's got everything I want in the company I want, and I'm not playing it. <laughs> I played '76. I played a bunch of other crappy games. You know, I, I for it, it's a line at this point for me. It's like I don't even have the time to play the shitty games anymore. I like, think this is I like wanted... pure shit, but you know. I wanted this to be the loot shooter that got me into it. Yeah, you know? yeah, like, me too. I never played Destiny. I wasn't interested in any of those other games. But, like, I love Bioware, and I wanted to like Anthem. And, like, I'm not going to say I'll never play it, you know? Like, again, if, if they get it in good shape and we have, like, the first, you know, DLC or whatever, and, like, it's, you know, like Destiny, it, it presents a good jumping on point for me, then I, I want to say that I'll still give it a shot. But... They've got a lot of work to do before I'm going to plunk down my 60 bucks on this. Yeah. Uh, so how long was this game in development? Do we know? Six years. And it should have been, it should have probably been closer to eight, you know, for a game of this like size and scope. Yeah. The video game industry has to think about that a lot because Apex Legends probably had a far less time uh far less period of time you know being worked on yeah and it's generating for them probably way more money than anthem even even if anthem had been a success it's gonna generate more money that like it's hard to justify putting six years into a game and then the game you release alongside it that took you maybe two or three years or maybe even less, who knows, generates way, way, way more money, way better praise, way... Like, it's just it's just crazy to me. Yeah, and it's, it's tough because, like, you never know either. Like, they had no way of knowing that Apex was going to be the hit that it is, you know? And, right. like, I'm sure Anthem seemed like a, a safe bet six years ago when Destiny was the talk of the town. That's the thing, right? Is that you you put six entire years. I mean, think about your life, right? What were you doing six years ago? You know, these developers are working six years. You know, over time, we've talked about the the negatives of the industry. Who knows? Crunch everything else to put out a game that's essentially a flop that people are talking crap about that they know for a fact they didn't have enough time to finish. Six years wasn't enough. That's crazy. It's a problem. And if it was a success, hey, great, great. But nothing is guaranteed. And like you said, 
you're trying to jump on the bandwagon of six years ago. How could you know that six years later, that's what people want? Yeah. Or, or, or will still want, you know, it's right. like, yeah, it's such a, and that's, that's a huge problem in the gaming industry. And I think it often comes from the, the masters at B at companies like EA and Activision where they're like, Oh, that worked. We want our own version of that. Oh, for sure. And, you know, in the example of Apex, it worked for them. In the example of, you know, uh, wanting to emulate Destiny with Anthem, mm, I don't know. But to that point, it, hey, it's reasonable to say that the Battle Royale uh, game game type will be relevant within a year or, or so of development. Right. Not the same with six years. Yeah. And that's a it's a much bigger investment, and like to think that like that trend is going to keep true for six years. It's like mm, you don't know. Yeah. And uh, honestly, like I I do feel like Anthem was a mistake. It was like a bad move, and I think Bioware would have been better off investing that time and energy into making Mass Effect Andromeda great. You know. Right. And developing the next Dragon Age. This this might be a, a, a real in the weeds question and if you know we don't have to sit on it, but I'm just curious if you know whether or not the development of Anthem interfered with Mass Effect Andromeda's development. One hundred percent. Yeah, because Oh yeah. So yeah, Mass Effect Andromeda was developed by Bioware Montreal, which uh no longer exists anymore. It got reabsorbed by like the main team. But Bioware Montreal was like the little, like, you know, little brother, little sister team of like the main team that works on, you know, that worked on the original Mass Effect that developed Dragon Age, like all that stuff. And they worked on that game on a really tight timeline. It was, uh, you know, there, I think Jason Schreier did a piece on like the struggle of it and it didn't get enough resources. It didn't get delays that it needed. Um... And yeah, if, if Anthem wasn't in development, you have to imagine that it would have been the main team developing the next entry in the Mass Effect franchise, you know? And what a different game it might have been. Isn't that crazy, man? Like, you just throw you throw a game to the wolves, essentially. Yeah. For another game's sake. Yeah, also, it's, <clears throat> it's not like they didn't sit there and say, like, oh, we don't trust the the Montreal studio to do it, but it's weird to think that they would say like, Oh, mass effect. The thing that really like propelled us to where we are. Like, let's give that to like the B team almost. It's kind of strange to think you, you give your core, I mean, resources well, and all that for sure. But, but Anthem I mean, would just, you, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh go no, ahead. no, I, it's fine. I'm just saying like to think that that's where they were, that Anthem was such a priority that like, they're yeah. like, yeah, we'll just give mass effect to this other team. Like I said, not like they don't trust them, but, that they wouldn't have worked on it to really make like a new great Mass Effect that they really wanted to make that new, you know, step forward. It's it's such an ambitious idea, a project, and they're like, well, they'll handle it. Anthem's going like, to, you know, work out. I feel like it makes sense, though, when you think about it in like from a, you know, I guess from like a business perspective, yeah, I mean, right? They're it's not like the loaded idea of like with cash to throw around to hire a million people and like, you know. Well, I and that's it. the problem is like right. they they needed to give that game more time and more resources and like you know it, it obviously needed more development than it got, 
But I feel like when you think about it from the, all right, we have the A-team, like the Mark Duraz, you know, like the, the big juggernauts. They work on our new IP and, you know, figure out what, you know, oh, Anthem's the next big thing from them. Cool. Let's take the other IP that they spent nine years developing that they already established and that all of them are probably sick of working on and want to do something else and give it to the secondary studio. You know, and then like we can keep Mass Effect as a franchise going. We can develop Anthem and then after that we'll let them do another Dragon Age. You know, and like I feel like on paper it's a good idea, but when you have EA being like, well, deadlines, 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 it's like, man, like if the game needs more time, you got to give it more time. Like that's it. Like you've damaged Mass Effect as a brand now. You're damaging BioWare's stock as a studio now. Yeah. yeah. For, for short-term returns. And that's what EA does. And it's like I really am afraid that like BioWare is going to be the next on the chopping block. You know, we've been talking about that off and on for a while. My hope is that they can turn Anthem around and that like it isn't a failure, but like who knows if that's going to happen. And I think I I just hope that they give them enough rope to do one more Dragon Age that that we already know that they're working on, that they're already, you know, in the process of pre-pro on, but like who's to say that Bioware won't get canned before then. Yeah. Like I said, I'd play this game in like a year if they patch it up and fix it up, but I totally didn't even think that there might come the time where the Bioware just, not that the game wouldn't would be like a serviceable, but Bioware is just axed and like it's where it is and that's what yeah. it is. You know what I mean? Like it it might not make it to that stage where I find it enjoyable. You know, part of me really wants to just buy Anthem just to be like, please don't kill them. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I felt like a weird obligation to this this game. I really its, do. Like, yeah, the entire development time I've been I've been you know weirdly attached in a way that like i wanted to buy it because i just feel like i need to support bioware in some way and, like, and i don't feel I like that about anyone or, or companies i want to try it yeah i'm just i really i guess it's weird because you know i i don't really do that with any company really companies are my friends i know that i'm just saying right. that this i felt very dear to bioware you know? i'm rooting for him yeah man. i really am but uh can't can't win them all so we'll see yeah, so the uh, the troubled story of Anthem rolls on. Uh, we'll see where we're at <laughs> next time, I guess. Uh, so next up, we've got one that I think you Blizz boys will appreciate. Diablo and other classic Blizzard games are out or coming to good old games. GOG. Interesting. S- uh, so good old games or GOG.com is like a Steam competitor that uh, is actually owned by um, CD Projekt, the people behind The Witcher and Cyberpunk. Oh, this. Okay, yes. Yeah. And it's like their whole thing is that they do DRM-free game sales, which is obviously different from Steam. Uh, so when you buy your game, you own it forever, and like there's no DRM fudgery where they can take it away from you. Um, Good. Yeah. So... This is actually the first time that Diablo's been available digitally, which is really cool. And it comes with two modes available. Classic 1996 mode that comes with Battle.net support. And then there's a a modern version with Windows 10 support. Oh, that's amazing. So um, that's really cool. And then uh, in a Q&A on Diablo.com, there was a question where someone said, Are other classic Blizzard games coming to GOG? And they said, yes, we have announced that we're partnering with GOG.com to release Warcraft, Orcs and Humans, and Warcraft 2. We'll reveal more information at a later date. 
Warcraft 2. Oh my god, dude. I love that shit, man. Oh, wow. I'm gonna get all of these. This is great. <laughs> Pretty cool, right? Yeah, I still, like, funny enough, last week I actually was talking to uh, one of our one of our friends about playing Diablo again, the first one, and I grabbed my CD and I was, like, trying to make it work on my computer. Um, because Windows 10 is hard to make it work. So, the fact that you mentioned there's a Windows 10 compatible version means I don't gotta go make a OS on the side and all this other crap to play the stupid game. I'm just gonna go to GOG. Thanks. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Hell but yeah. then I get to scratch the itch for the Diablo I wanted to play. This is this is incredible, man. Good good shit. Uh, this is cool. You know, um, I like the fact that these are, you know, that that these games are now uh, available. Um, I'm not a not not big on Diablo. Um, and I never, I've, I've actually never played the original two Warcraft games. What? Yeah. Really? Damn. Yeah. I, I've only played uh, Warcraft three, in terms of the you know RTS. Yeah, game. yeah. I mean, are are you like into like the RTS side of it more or the story side of it more? Oh, that's a question. Yeah, because um, it's like it's... I mean, you know me. Like I, I love Red Alert and I yeah. love all that. So I'm I'm an RTS person. Those are I'm I'm into them. Um, but I equally, I think I equally love the story of Warcraft. Cool. Then you would really like two. Uh, the first one is is just like not like by today's standards a good game, and I'm not saying it's not a bad game, but like it's really not good when you play any other RTS because you're like, holy shit, this is old. Um, right. <laughs> but Warcraft Two holds up, and it's a great game still, and the story's fucking awesome, and that's like where my chops were made. You know, like that's I, I was playing that shit on the PS One, and that's the like one of the first times I ever played an RTS, pretty much. I played I played Warcraft two on on DOS. That's a, like it, old shit, man, and I loved it. It's amazing. It still holds up though. That's awesome. I'm, I might have to give this a, a chance then because I actually downloaded um, Warcraft three through um, the, through Battle.net. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so maybe I'll maybe I'll uh, turn the clocks back and play Warcraft two. Man, as a story fan. It's it's just chock full of that shit, and the the orc side is or the horde side is really really fun to play, and um, they're just they're fun. The, the campaigns are still structured really well. They're challenging but not impossible. Nice. Like I I dig it, man. Like I actually just played Warcraft two like a month ago again. So what? Yeah. So it's been it's been fun. I highly recommend it. All right, I think you've sold me. Oh yes. <laughs> just play Warcraft two. Forget the other ones. Forget the other everything else. <laughs> Might have to go do that. All right. So uh, <laughs> this next one is interesting. Uh, the creator of Dark Souls uh, from software director Hidetaka Miyazaki. I'm not sure if I got the first one right, but Miyazaki's right. Uh, has said that he's interested in creating a battle royale game. And says that he would, quote, love to take a crack at it someday. Which... Oh, cool. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> so this comes from an interview he did with Telegraph uh, where he was asked if they would ever, like, consider taking on the genre. And he said, quote, there's always the possibility. Uh, he went on to remark that these games are definitely fun. And, quote, if we did it, uh, it we might... <laughs> If we did it, it might be a tad different, but we're definitely interested, and there's definitely that possibility in the future. We'd love to take a crack at them someday. So I, I thought this was just interesting because, like, 
the idea of, you know, like, you know, Dark Souls always, like, kind of, I think, was, like, notorious for having that multiplayer where people would just come in and, like, fuck with you. So, like, seeing them kind of bring that to the table and do, like, a battle royale that, like, had, like, a similar style to, like, For Honor or something like that could be really interesting. Yeah, like, it's kind of a meme, but it's it's sort of true. But, like, the Dark Souls, like, PvP and, like, Bloodborne, like, PvP is, is like, some, like, like 4D chess high-level shit when you get into it. It boils down to two scenarios. One, everybody just circles each other forever trying to backstab. And that's basically, like pro top top 10 in the world players would would you know if you watch like the streamer of of dark souls the best one ever i don't know just name anyone who wants you know what i mean just whatever they're gonna do this circle bullshit and it's just crap oh everyone just tries to backstab each other so that's the whole game so i can't imagine a, a fucking battle royale game where everyone's just running around in circles trying to backstab <laughs> then the other side of it you get some wild shit because dark souls and bloodborne and have such a wide variety of weapons and and things that and some of them are considered practically useless right so then you get people who are like i'm gonna get this weapon that's considered useless and, and build a character around it so that would be really fucking cool i think if you made a battle royale game like based on like Bloodborne's like trick weapons which are two weapons in one and there, there's at least 20 you know from that you could pick out and like that would be really interesting because a lot of them are really hard to use and a <laughs> skill level is involved with using the weapon rather than just like shooting a gun you know like shotguns pistols whatever sure you got to figure out range and all that but in these games it's more like can I swing this giant scythe or should I swing the hammer or whatever and speed and like hit boxes and all that crap so I mean, like, dude, you want to make the Battle Royale? I'll probably, I'd, I'd play it, but, like, everyone's jumping in on this, and this is a weird idea, so. It, it reminds me a little bit if, like, if they did it, because every Dark Souls game is, like, you know, third-person camera. It, it reminds me a little bit of the old um, Star Wars, like, Jedi Academy or, like, Jedi Knight games when you'd get on, like, a crazy lightsaber little server and everyone's jumping around, like, madmen and shooting force powers everywhere. <laughs> You got the same kind of crap. There's just, like, flamethrowers in Bloodborne, and there's, like, you know, spells and shit in Dark Souls and everything, so why not? But I don't know if that would make a good Battle Royale game. It would be maybe a little too chaotic. So one of the things that I saw somebody throw out there on Twitter um, that I, I thought would be really interesting would be, like, what if this is how they bring back Armored Core? Now, see, that would be fucking cool. That I would be think fucking about dope. that. Are you kidding me? Mm, mech fighting battle royale shit? Mech fighting battle royale? Mm. That doesn't exist yet? Not, well, like, Not like in that. a way, like, Mech Warrior Online exists, and you do the same thing where you, like, customize your mech and you fight, and you only have, like, maybe one or two lives or three, so it's, like, different. It's not like a battle royale. There isn't, like, a mode for it. I can't think of any mech game that I play that has, like, a battle royale game mode. You might get like one life or something, but they're not like you drop in with no weapons and or or maybe you do, I don't know. Huh. That would be that that could be the first battle royale game that I actually like play. Yeah, like I I play them with friends and stuff, but I'm not like into battle royales, you know? Like I, I sink time into them because my friends are playing them, but I'm not like enthralled by them. About them yeah like yeah, right. like apex is fun and i like playing with my friends but i don't Still play it i haven't tried it <laughs> i don't play it if my friends aren't playing it you know and it's it's like what it is but like a, a mech game for that shit mm. an armored core game in particular mm. yeah that's gonna get you to pay attention <sighs> yeah i might be that would be a game that's a that's like bad for me you know like <laughs> it would be coming out like oh my god 500 hours later where's the sun you know <laughs> um, 
Our last item on the news list this week is going to take us into our meat and potatoes discussion uh, about E3 uh, because EA is the latest company to pull out of E3 2019. What? Yeah. Uh, Who's left? So, <laughs> Jeez. So uh, this is coming from uh, A.G. Dellinger over at Engadget. Uh, I'm going to be pulling a little bit from his um, his piece on it. But uh, so when E3 kicks off later this year, Electronic Arts will be seen but not heard. The company announced today that it will be foregoing its standard press conference at the event. Instead, EA will be focused on EA Play, its annual showcase that will kick off Friday, June 7th, a couple of days before E3 opens its doors on June 11th. So, like, they're even separating it more from... The way that they have in previous years where like it was EA Play, but they still did a press conference during E3 and it was like around the same time. You know, it was like the same couple days. So this is like kind of crazy. Yeah, we've talked about this in the past with, you know, um, others taking taking their their big showcases out of E3. And I, I, I'm not a fan of it. Um I, you know, I really, I understand the logic behind, you know, wanting to avoid the wave of, of E3 kind of sweeping up your announcements, but I kind of question how real of a thing that is for e, for EA, you know, I kind of question how much that actually affects them. Um, I, I've never, I can't think of a period of time where there was a big announcement for a video game that got swept under the rug somehow if a game is big you know yeah. you're gonna talk about someone's it. gonna it's catch gonna... on to it and they're gonna talk about it and they're gonna care and and where do we point to that factor we look at e3 a lot of times through the big, i i know. wonder if it wouldn't be somewhat motivated by the fact that their e3 presentation is always kind of not good and like it's they're always like whenever they do like their things of like oh like who you know who did the best and who had the hottest you know, E3 presentation, it's sure as hell never EA, and, like, I would say they're almost unanimously considered the worst. So, like, I feel like especially when they've had so much negative press lately, like, maybe they just don't want to open themselves up to just getting shit on more, you know? And they're just trying to keep their heads down and focus on, like, putting the games out in front of people. That's reasonable. Um, but given the fact that Others have made this choice as well. It makes me feel like it is just part of the trend. And See, I don't know. Well, you know what? Let's save that part of the conversation for the sure. main topic. Sure. So we'll, 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 we'll close out our thoughts on this EA thing, and then we can get into the meat and potatoes. Because we'll put a just pin in that for a minute. Um, so just to get you up to speed before we jump off into like the, the main E3 conversation – um, instead of doing the, the press conference that they normally do, EA is going to be doing a bunch of live streams over the first two days of EA Play. So I guess that would be the uh, the 7th and the uh, 8th. So they're going to do a number of streams that are going to um, just like focus on gameplay. Not like, you know, having Pele come out and talk about soccer, I guess. Uh, so they said that they plan to have members of teams behind upcoming titles join the streams to provide information directly to the viewers. So it seems like it's going to be very similar to like the Nintendo Treehouse, where it's just like they probably have one or two presenters and they're going to bring on developers and talk about the games and show them off and you know get the footage out there. 
okay. You know, sounds sounds fine. Yeah, uh, it sounds like it's going to be a fine strategy and, um, you know, I, I guess I get why they're doing this. But let's take a pin out of that last point that Sean made and we'll talk about, you know, I guess kind of the broader look at E3 2019 this year because in addition to EA obviously not doing this, um, at least, you know, partially stepping back from E3, you know, we already had the announcement last year that Sony has plans to skip E3 entirely. They will not be having their keynote, and um, which is the first time since 1995 that there won't be a PlayStation presence at the event. And, uh, you know, I think that there's been a lot of conversation in recent years that E3 is less and less necessary. Uh, to get your games in front of people because of all the different avenues out there, whether it's Twitch, whether it's some other events, whether it's holding your own event, you know. Um, and I guess I'm interested to, to get your guys' thoughts on what do we think E3 2019 is going to look like? Yeah, so just just picking back up uh, where we were, I, I really think that... Um, I, I've said this before. I think that E3 is a very important part of gaming. Or, or, or the conversation around gaming. Having a centralized event that everybody can tune into at once and kind of get excited about games is is important. And I think, you know, you look at a lot of other, other industries and they have those, and it pays dividends. You know, there are games that uh, you find out about at E3 because you're so invested in that moment that you might not care about otherwise. Because an announcement in September is not the same as an announcement in June when E3 is happening. Yeah. Um, And so because of that, I feel that it's important for the Sonys and the Microsofts and the Nintendos of the world and the EAs, because EA is huge, to support this event. Will E3 die because EA is not there? I don't think so. But I think that the more people that opt out, the more of these companies that opt out, the less incentive there is to watch E3. And yeah, and it could be like death by a thousand cuts. Right. You can't expect yeah. you, you can't expect that E3 is going to survive without you. They're trying to use the E3 hype to do a conference not during E3. That's what EA is doing. And I get it, but what if that actually hurts E3? What if what if so many people do that that E3 is no longer worth watching and then it dies and then now there is no E3. So all those small press conferences you're doing on your own don't have the E3 bump. Was it worth it? Yeah, we had a question uh, question a topic very similar to this uh that got me very scared the last time when we talked about this was like uh, uh whoever who was the last one to like say that they weren't going to do this was it microsoft or something sony uh, sony oh sony so yeah, yeah when we talk about that microsoft's thing. doing like that big right, uh, right. thing across the street mm-hmm. but they're going to be at e3 right so i remember when we talked about that and my biggest fear was what we're talking about now that like more people are going to start bailing and that for whatever reason, you know, I get it. It doesn't have to be anything specific. But, like, if enough people are out, and then, really, the the the, the weird thing is, like like Sean said, too, they're, they're building this, like, 
you know, oh, wow, the hype of E3. So we get to, like, work on that and say, well, you know, oh, man, it's a big time. We're going to make our own thing, like, separate from it, but, like, you know, congruent to it, which is kind of strange. Enough people do that. Now you've got all these pocket things. So what? E3 is not one event, but now, like, a two-week-long event of fragmented things that are supposed to interconnect in some weird web. It doesn't work nearly as good. And then you got the 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 core of it being that it was stemming from this place where everyone could go to over over a compacted you know concise thing where like the bullshit was cut you know because it was like let's talk about games 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 you know like not saying there are people wouldn't obviously they're doing their own shows for that but it's going to be more of like a show right so i the the concept will mutate and change into this weird abstraction and i'm not i'm not a fan of the fact that everyone well, if this ends up happening, everyone will have left and we're going to, like, I care about the E3 event, you know what I mean? Like, it, the whole thing is where I go for the news for that shit, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I watch the EA event because it's at E3. Yeah, I don't care right. that they put you know on what a I mean? crappy show. I only watch it because it's E3. I, yeah, but you, because it's the event. Yeah. And, like, I feel like them, like, each of these companies doing their own thing is not something I'm interested in. Yeah, there's a couple, like, I might, like, Developer Digital's always put on a good show recently, and, like, they're hilarious and stuff, so whatever the hell they do, fine, you know, I'll watch them, but they're not, you know, the EA, or the, uh, you know, like, like Activision Blizzard, you know, like, they don't... I think, I think a lot of those things would just become things I would read wrap-ups of. Right, and now it's you like, know, like yeah. I don't watch BlizzCon. Exactly, you know? and, and, like, and like I'm a huge Blizzard fan, I don't even watch that, and it's like, because it's E3, right, and so I'm saying, like, I watch that, and that's because it's a, it's a point in time every year like christmas or some shit where we get to say as as a you know the community comes together we put all our cards on the table and we look forward to the next year you know it's like we we do like a self-audit of, of our you know and, and it's like without it being that i don't i don't know i've seen it when i was a kid uh, you know used to be able to um it was like more of an open thing and then at one year i remember when i was very young they were just like oh you know it's only for like industries now and i was like kind of bummed as a kid because i never got to let go but because it was becoming what it is now, right? It, it's a place for people to to get together and show off all this shit together, and at like an event that will make everyone know about it better. And like, I don't understand how you can going back to the original thing. I don't understand how you can, uh, you know, have have this and say something will get swept under. This is the place where we go to find this crap, you know? Yeah, but it is it is. There's some truth to that, but I think there's also like the difference of you know. Like, if you have a great conference and, like, I think it was always particularly problematic for Sony and Microsoft because their conferences were on the same day and it was always came down to who won. I know, I know. And it's stupid, too, because it's such a dumb thing where half the time maybe one side put on, like, a slightly better show and all of a sudden everyone just says, well, Sony won this year, Microsoft was terrible, there was nothing good. It's like, no, 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 it's not, what the fuck are you doing? I understand not wanting to, like, get in the mud with that kind of shit, but, like, I I do agree that overall I think that because everybody's activated and paying attention during E3, it's the best chance for you to make a splash. But I also think that there's... I think that the two companies that we have as examples this year are coming from a different, way different place as to why they, they're not going to E3. Like, EA is shifting gears and trying something different, and I already said, like, 
I wonder if that's not motivated by the fact that like their conference is never super well received. They're already in a place where like they have a lot of bad press and a lot of like people are down on them. So maybe it is a good idea to like shift to this more community oriented event where you just get people to come play the games and hope that people like the games. And like maybe that's a good strategy for them this year or like moving forward. But for Sony, I think that that's way more motivated by them not having shit to show us. Like, last year, they focused in on four games, and they got a lot of flack for that. And I don't think that they have a lot more this year than they did last year. In some cases, they have less. And I don't think that everybody wants to see those same four games again. And I don't think that they're ready to show us the PS5 or to talk about the next slate of Sony games. So... I wonder if for Sony it's more just an issue of bad timing than it is that they don't believe E3 is valuable anymore. Even then, though, I, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't feel like that means you need to, you know, not have a presence. You know, there's plenty of cool stuff you could do that doesn't necessarily need to involve filling an entire hall of people to show them stuff that, you know, maybe they've already seen or is not worth showcasing at the moment for whatever reason um i just i just think that e3 is without e3 existing as it has for so many years i think the games industry's trajectory is a little different and i think that that deserves the respect isn't the right word but the Hey, we're honored to come here and just have a good time. If you're a Sony fan, you know, stop by our booth. We're going to have games on display that you can play, you know, stuff like that. Like, there's there's lots of things that can be done that don't necessarily have to involve these massive productions that they always do that a lot of times are boring. Yeah, I mean, especially now that E3 is becoming a consumer show as well, because for years and years and years, it was just the industry. You yeah. know, um, and in its inception, it was not, you know, a public event. It was, you know, like focused on the industry coming together. It's like more of a trade show. Um, so but now that there is that public presence, like, you know, maybe it would make sense to like have demos and stuff like that set up. But I think the thing is that people expect the big show. They expect Sony to have the press conference and for them to not have that. You know, I can understand them deciding, like, maybe we're just not going to come this year. Expectation management should be a part of their responsibility. And being able to simply say six months out, hey, we're going to E3, but, you know, our slate of games right now isn't such that we're ready to make some big presentation, but we still want to have fun with you guys, and we still want to show support to this uh, convention that we love. So we're coming out, and we're going to have demos for you guys. We're going to have playtesting. We're going to have all kinds of cool stuff. If you're a Sony fan, make sure to hit our booth and come say hello. It's that simple. Yeah, and I I think I get that, but I, I also understand not wanting to go through the trouble either if you don't have much to talk about. You know, especially when they didn't do PSX last year. 
So, like, maybe they bring back PSX later this year to announce the PS5. Like, you know, like, maybe they have a different plan that they just feel like is doesn't match up with E3 this year. Again, though, you keep doing that, and it's it's not a service to the industry. Yeah, cool, yeah. you're Sony, but it's not servicing the industry. And I agree so with that. So what, what would it really take to show up and say hello? You know, nothing, relatively speaking. Especially if you're not doing a massive presentation. I just don't think that whatever the trouble is or whatever the big plan is, uh, that E3 has to interfere with that. I guess it could also be motivated by, like, do you want to be the company that shows up and be like, we have nothing to share this year, so we're not doing a press conference, while Microsoft is renting out an amphitheater across the street and apparently revealing their their next generation of consoles and all that stuff, and then everyone's like, man, Sony doesn't have shit. But, dude, like, in light that of that... Leads to negative PR. Backing out entirely. Is, is is that the strategy you want when, when you said what you said, like, Microsoft is coming out with that? As a Sony, don't you want to at least say, well, we're still here, like, hey, like, it's on the... Like, like we don't have it to show you right now, but, like... You Not know. if you don't have anything, though. I mean, does it does it hurt to, to post up and still say, like, that just as a goodwill presence, even? Like, they're there to keep people that you know, are the fans of them don't sway. You know, I, I think there's a real issue with that. Like, not being there at all is, is going to be detrimental if Microsoft's thing is incredible or something, you know, or, or if they really knock it out of the park, you know? I feel like it becomes less of a talking point, though, if they're not there rather than them being there and having nothing while Microsoft has a big bomb. I am willing to guarantee that if Microsoft announces the next console a big part of the conversation is going to be, well, where's Sony? I mean, I I agree with that, but I think that there's a different conversation if it's a thing of, like, where's Sony, and then they have an event planned where they reveal the future of the PS5 and all that stuff, and they make a big splash, rather than if they're there and they've got literally nothing, they have, like, a booth with a couple games or whatever. Like, I think that does... Being there and having nothing is a different thing than being, like, we're not coming this year. Because I think a lot of people are interpreting that as like, oh, Sony doesn't think E3 is important or this or that or whatever. It doesn't necessarily like come off as like a sign of we've got nothing to show you, you know? But I think that is more like what a lot of people are interpreting from that news. Saying E3 is – people having the perception that E3 is not worth going to is worse for gaming than so, than thinking that Sony doesn't have anything to show. I agree with that. I just I don't know that Sony cares. Yeah, they might. I don't. I don't care if they care. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't work there. I'm just saying, like, you know, this this is not good, and there's no way to make it seem good. And no matter what Microsoft brings to the table, Sony's not gonna bring anything to the table, whether they go or not. So all the corporate maneuvering and all that stuff doesn't matter to us at this level because we can't involve ourselves with that. So they're playing a game of chess with no one. Because (laughs) when you announce your console, people are going to care. And when Microsoft announces their console, people are going to care. So if you can't announce your console at the same time, no matter what you do, you lost. So whether you go to E3 or you don't go, you lost. You know, perception-wise, the way losing works, you yeah. know? But it's not going to result in 
people buying less consoles of the PS5 or so, so Sony's, uh, you know, all of a sudden people stop buying Spider-Man, you know, like it, it's not going to result in a tangible loss for them, no matter what happens. It's E3 that I'm worried about. So getting back on that thread, how do you feel about that? Like, do you feel like this year is going to hurt E3 not having Sony and EA present? Like, do you think that this matters long term? The the presentations that I always made sure to catch were Sony's, uh, Microsoft's, Nintendo's, and EA's. And Sony, Nintendo, right? Um, and EA are not there. Well, Nintendo's not there, but they do their direct. So, like, there's still a Nintendo presentation, just not, like, a press conference. Right. But it it, it doesn't impact E3, right? Like, it's... Well, no, it's, I mean, like, like, it does, but it doesn't. Like, that's the thing, is, like, they always do their E3 direct, but they're right. not there with all the journalists in the it's, room and that exactly. sort of thing. It's very right. different, but it's still, I would say, one of the anchors of E3. Yeah. Um, I'm not... I'm probably going to watch very, very little of E3 this year. And unfortunately, it feels like I watch less and less of it every year. Um, and it, I, I want to see Sony. And if they're not there, well, all right. And if I was going, I'd be very disappointed. If yeah. I was actually attending, I'd be very disappointed. Because the biggest names aren't present. That's crazy. That that doesn't. I don't get that. I don't. I don't get it. It's it's not good for E three. It's not. And do I think it hurts E three this year? No, I don't think that we'll see the ripple effect of it for this year. But I do think that people who go that maybe feel like I do or or like you do or like you know like you just expressed, they might say, well, I don't know if I want to go again. Or people who didn't go that might be thinking about going might say, I don't know if it's worth attending. Because these guys just don't show up. I spent all this money on tickets and flights, and then Sony's not there. Screw it. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see what what the reaction is at the end of 2019 and what the roster looks like for 2020. Because I wonder if Sony's going to return next year. Or are they going to decide that it's just not worth it anymore? Because like, I think if this is them being like, we're done with E3 for the forever, like that's a huge blow. But I don't know that that's what this means. Right. I think this year, especially for Microsoft, uh, they hold a lot of power in keeping E3 together. If they do reveal something, you know, like killer, and it's like this is the next system, and everything's great, and 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 it just blows people away. You know, that was announced at E3, so that gives it credit. You know what I mean? That that keeps the system going and it gives incentive to say next year, well, you know, this is where we put things. You know, this is where we announce stuff. Um, but I think it. It's not like this year is going to be fine, yeah. But I think that future years are, are really reliant on something really, you know, giving incentive to keep people there. And the only thing I can think of that would do that would be Microsoft's, you know, uh, tech or something that they got. And, and unfortunately, like, they're, they're, they're there. They're across the street. Whatever. Big deal. That's fine. But I just think that that's even kind of weird to say that, like, well, the building across the street from E3 is the place where we got the big announcement that gives people incentive to come back. So... It's it's a strange time for sure, but the overall health is is uh you know in in jeopardy in the future I think otherwise. Didn't they didn't they start allowing uh, regular everyday folk to go to E three as a way of monetizing it? 
I'm not sure what the motivation was behind it. I imagine that they wanted to make money with it, you know, more in that way. But, yeah, I mean, like, I guess, right? Like, what other reason would there really be to open it up to fans other than to think, like, there's money to be made? Right. Well, sucks for those people. Yeah, but, I mean, I guess both of those announcements were kind of made. Like, I don't even know if tickets have gone on sale for E3 yet. So, I mean, at least Sony made the announcement, like, early last year. Yeah. So. I, I wonder I wonder if there are people, you know, not, not like one or two, but, you know, a significant amount of people who will avoid going this year because of that. Like, I wonder I if, that, if that hits them. I'm sure on some level, but I also feel like there are a lot of people who are probably going just to go because it's E3 and E3 is E3. You know, and, like, you're not getting into Sony's conference anyway, you know? Like, yeah, you're not going to be able to play the Sony games, but, like, there's going to be a lot of other games for you to play and things for you to do. And if you want to just go there to be a part of it, like, you know, I don't know that it's going to affect the experience for the average goer that much. It's just, like, if you're a diehard Sony person, then, yeah, you're not going to see those games, and that's a that sucks. I'd be disappointed by that, for sure, but... You know, if you're, like, an Xbox player or something like that, does that even matter to you? No, of course not. So? If, if, if I was going to, like, uh, let's say San Diego Comic-Con. Yeah. Which is a monolith, right? It's not mm-hmm. it's not impacted by things like this. But if I was going and, like, Marvel said they weren't going to be there, which, which has happened. Yeah, a couple times. Um, I'd be really frustrated. Yeah. But, but I don't know that it would make it that you couldn't enjoy the experience. Well, no, because I've not been there before. Right. Um, but also San Diego Comic-Con, like taking myself out of the equation, just looking at it objectively, it doesn't need me to be there. And if if thousands of people decided they didn't want to go because Marvel wasn't going, the place would still be full because they turn people away every single year. Yeah. So, but yeah. I don't know that this is that. I don't know enough about E3's numbers to speak to that. But yeah, it's it's good. It's gonna be an interesting one for sure, and uh, I'm I'm really excited to see like where where it kind of nets out, like what the ultimate thoughts are on it. What are the ultimate takeaways? Because we're gonna definitely be looking at it a very different E3 this year, you know. And I think it's gonna be clear that there's a hole without Sony. Right. So the prevailing logic is that is that Microsoft will announce their console. Yeah. That's what it seems. Yeah, we talked about that last week or maybe two weeks ago. Uh, where there's that rumor that they're going to be unveiling their new console and that there'll be two different SKUs of it. And, yeah, so, I mean, if that's the case, that's that's a big announcement. Yeah, I think the most memorable... Well, I, I shouldn't say that. Um, some of the most memorable moments in E3 history relate to the announcement of a new console or the showcase of a new console for the first time. Absolutely. So, no matter who's there, this particular E3 will stand out for that reason. If nothing else. Yeah, and I think if next year, like, we see Sony come back and, you know, like, if it's everybody that always comes minus EA, we're back to business as usual. Yeah, I would agree with that. So I think the hype of Microsoft's new console might be enough to salvage E3 this year. Yeah, and I and and... Good on them. Good on Microsoft for doing it here. I respect that a lot. Yeah. 
even if it's across the street or whatever it is. I, I respect the fact that they could be doing this on their own time. They're doing it at E3. That's tradition, and I like that. I think the thing is that they're in both. Like, they're at the regular E3 floor, and then they also have a separate building across the street that's just Microsoft stuff all weekend. So I think it's just that they're, like, having an even bigger presence at E3 than normal. So... Hey, man, cool. it speaks to their strategy to go hard, you know, before this announcement where they've been rolling on all this goodwill. Like, it makes sense that they'd say, screw it, we're going to have the show floor presence, we're going to have a building just for our shit, We're too. showing up to the like, biggest party of the year right. and blowing it out. And then, you know, they're, they're, <laughs> their competitors uh, are there, except uh, Sony isn't. Their, their big brother or, you know, the, you know, twin brother that it is that they have to fight constantly, and they get to go fuck it. It's all ours, baby. So, you know, <laughs> and who's and who's the other big name that's going to be there? Oh, their new friend Nintendo. Yeah, right. And they are set up to do some killer dominoes. I love it. So, it's going to be an interesting one. But uh if you've got thoughts on E3 2019 that you want to share with us, make sure you hit us up in all those ways I mentioned earlier. You can reach out to us at the video game pals at gmail.com. Follow at the comics files where your social media is sold. Get us in those comments down below, depending on which platform you're listening on. And uh, let us know what you're thinking about E3 2019 or any other stuff we talked about this week. And if you want to help out the show, remember you can give us a like on your audio platform of choice. Head over to Apple Podcasts and give us one of those sweet five-star five reviews. Excuse me. If you're on YouTube, you can like this video, share it with a friend, subscribe to the channel, click that notification bell, and uh, all that internet stuff that you know how to do. So if you want to uh, connect with each of us – oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, this is where I usually just jump to plugs. What am I doing, man? Like, <laughs> I'm just like I'm tired. It's been a long day. I'm talking about E3. Let's do some plugs. Sean. Awesome. So, if you want more from me, I am on the Comics Pals, which posted the day before this. This week, uh, it was a twofer, because we dropped a, a proper episode, uh, 124, I believe, and we reviewed Doomsday Clock number 9, one of our most comprehensive reviews ever on a book that I think everyone should be reading. If you are a comic book fan, you need to be on this title. So goddamn um, good. We also talked about all the big news behind James Gunn's Suicide Squad, and uh, whether or not a Guardian of the Galaxy might appear in that film. But we also dropped a separate, special uh, Captain Marvel movie review. So uh, if you want to check that out, uh, feel free to do so. We had a special guest, special guest. so tune in to find out who that was. And if you want more from me, I am on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. Hit me up to talk about your favorite E3 moments. Thompson? Oh, I'm at Relic Vampire on Twitter. And if you find the Skeletor, you know you're in the right place. Uh, currently, my life has been absorbed by Hearts of Iron again. So please pull me out of this and beat my ass in this game because I'm getting good now. And, and, and uh, I... I can't drop another few hundred hours into this. I need a reason to switch games. God damn it. <laughs> As for me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, come connect with me. Talk to me about your thoughts on E3 or Captain Marvel or Doomsday Clock or whatever else I've been talking about lately. I don't even know. Um, <laughs> got a lot on my mind. 
and if you want to get some more content from me, like Sean said, you can check me out over on the Comics Pals or the Comics Pals Book Club or our Captain Marvel Review, all of which are uh, some just some hot fire content. And then you can also find more video game thoughts from me over at LootPots.com, uh, where I write about Nintendo news, uh, do some reviews, and host their weekly Nintendo podcast, The Potscast. So if you didn't get enough of me talking about Nintendo VR or... Uh, Whatever else we talked about this week, I don't know. Uh, you can go check that out. <laughs> I'm fucking tired, you guys. It's been a long, it's been a long week, and uh, yeah. So that's gonna wrap it up for this episode of the Video Game Pals. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll catch you next week.